Well, good morning, everyone. While Valerie plays through a song for us, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts for the service ahead. Welcome. It's good to have everyone here. I'm looking forward to this hour together as we bring honor and worship to our God. Let's go ahead and sing one of our favorite Christmas carols, I'm sure, and then we'll pray together after we sing 194, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Hear the angels sing. 
For lo, the days are hastening on, by prophet parts foretold, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when the their king and the whole world give back the sound which now the angels sing well thank you Joshua it's good to have Scott here so if you haven't met Scott yet well by the way welcome Scott we'll have to hang on to you for a while You're always welcome. Let's open in a word of prayer together, asking God's blessing. Father God, I thank you for this hour together. And we realize it isn't about just one hour during the week on a Sunday morning like this. But it's about you working in our lives that we might recognize your many, many blessings as we go about the day or the daily tasks but father i ask you that we would honor you and worship you in our lives not just today but certainly tomorrow and throughout the week ahead and that during this time of year when we remember the incarnation of the lord jesus christ coming into this world as god becoming a man to pay for our sin debt and offer us eternal life through faith in him. Father, we thank you that you have done that work already. There's nothing that we can do, and yet we do have the privilege to bring glory and honor to your name as we talk with others and as we revel in the beauty around us, but anticipate the eternal blessings that are those who believe. Father, I ask you that in this hour, we would worship you as we sing together, as we just have and will and pray like we are, but also opening the scriptures and in fellowship together in the giving in every aspect of this service. I ask, Father, that it would be an act of worship from our hearts. Lord, I also pray for those who aren't with us, some with health needs and others traveling. We do ask that you would meet their needs and that they would also Grow closer to you this day as we pray for them, but as you work in their lives as well. Thank you again for this time together because of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. After we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, one of our favorite Christmas carols, the men, I'd like to ask you to come and take up the offering for the day right after O Little Town of Bethlehem. That's number 226, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by Yet in thy dark street shineth The everlasting light The hopes and fears of all the years Are met in Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their such of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy Praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Oh, holy child of Send to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Thank you, Valerie. That I enjoy Christmas carols and like, and especially an arrangement like that. Thank you for that. That was that was a delight. I'd like to ask everybody to stand for a scripture reading. Take up your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter one. Tom will start at verse 46 in a moment. This is that occasion where Mary went to visit her much older cousin, Elizabeth, and both ladies recognized that Mary was miraculously carrying a baby boy as Jesus. And then she glorifies God for that, starting at verse 46. Please read, Tom. And Mary said, My soul doeth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded a low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away, sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed for forever. And Mary abode with her for about three months, and returned to her own house. Amen. Let's remain standing and pick up our songbooks now and open them to Emmanuel 237 and sing that as children's church is dismissed. Thank you, Joshua. You may be seated, everyone. I don't have a particular Bible passage to tell you to open your Bibles to. We will be in a variety of passages together today as we look again at miracles of Christmas. Last week, we explored some Christmas miracles found in our Bibles. The first one was miracles of prophetic proclamation, and we cited Genesis and Isaiah and Micah and other passages. We also explored miracles of preparation, which included the birth of John the Baptist and the amazing prophecy of his father, Zacharias. This year, that prophecy that Zacharias proclaimed after naming John, God loosing his tongue to speak, the first thing he did was bring honor to God. May that be the case for each of us as well in life's circumstances. But that prophecy that he spoke is incredible. To me, this year, that's the new thing, if you will. I've read it many times, but some things just stand out anew and fresh. Isn't that wonderful about the Bible? It's a living book, isn't it? It is. And God is the one who makes it. So, it's a miraculous book. The Bible, (laughs) here is one of the definitions I used last week. A Bible miracle is a supernatural act of God, sometimes through one of his messengers, that is contrary to the observable processes of nature and sometimes is a reversal of nature's course. We saw that last week with the conception and birth of John the Baptist. That was a reversal of nature's course. The three New Testament words 
translated miracle are dunamis, which means a powerful force. We get our word dynamite from that Greek word. The second is terata, and it is simply a wonder, something that we can't fathom. It's beyond our human ability to understand it. It's a wonder. And the third one is a simia, and it means a sign. God does bring miracles into our realm, into our world, and especially revealed in the Bible. That was a sign of something else. It was to show that Jesus Christ was who he really said he was, who the Bible said he was when he would perform a miracle. For example, (laughs) Noah Webster went on to say, miracles can only be wrought by almighty power as when Christ calmed the tempest, saying, peace be still. That was a sign to all who were there and all of us who read about it that Jesus Christ truly is God. We need to grasp that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you that as we look into more miracles today surrounding the Christmas account in our Bibles, that you would bless our time together, that we would honor you and that you would teach us and that we would love you more, that we would grow closer to you and that we would be able to share, as we think often, the reason for the season, Jesus Christ, with other people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we continue exploring some of the miracles around that first Christmas, I'm going to skip the debatable or controversial. That's for a different time. I do that, by the way, and I'm not afraid of that at all. That's for a different time, though. I also will not be talking about the pros and cons of Christmas trees and candles and wreaths and Yule logs, by the way. Yule logs whose ashes provide protection from bad luck throughout the year. And observances of lights, like the return of the sun's observance, I'm sorry, the light after winter solstice and stuff like that. I'm not planning to get into that at all today. I won't avoid it at other times, but that is not for today. They say that lights are a victory of light over darkness and things like that. So that's out there in the realm of superstition and all. I am not planning to get into that stuff. I don't avoid explaining about the superstitious and the pagan roots and practices or the occultic activities and such. But I want to show truth from the Bible to refute them and why the Christian must avoid that stuff. That is important, but some other day, okay? Today, let's look at the real, biblical, authentic miracles around the birth of Jesus Christ into this world. The world of mankind. We call it the Incarnation. Incarnation is an important theological word for us to understand. It's from the Latin in, just like our in. It means the same thing. And caro, which means flesh, in flesh. It means that God, the eternal Son, the second person of the Godhead, or the triunity of God, became man, or flesh in the person of Jesus. It does not mean that he gave up his deity. Absolutely not. 
he still, in the process, was fully God in all his power, all his glory, and perfections. Yet, at the predetermined time in human history, the fullness of time, as Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us, he was born a human boy in Bethlehem. Incredible? Beyond our grasp? Yes. It's all miraculous. John 1 verse 14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God himself became human. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. What a mystery. And it's revealed to us in the miracle book, the Bible. Is it important to believe this about the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Is it important? Oh, yes, it is. Open your Bibles to 1 John. Your first assignment, go to 1 John. Okay? Then we'll go to 2 John, so we won't be running to the Old Testament after this. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'll read that. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby... Know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Is it important to believe in the Incarnation? The Bible account of God coming into the realm of mankind, oh yes it is. It separates believers from unbelievers. It separates the saved from the lost. It separates those who are going to heaven from those who are going to hell. It is eternally important that you get this right. We get this right. It is. Now, the spirits could be Demons, it could be angelic beings, but most often, of course, in its context, are those who are teaching truth or those who are teaching error have a spirit behind them, some, some guiding principles or, if you will, presuppositions. At any rate, let's go to Second John verse 7. You don't have to say chapter 1 when we do this, okay? 2 John and 3 John are only one chapter, so we can just say 2 John verse 7. What's it say there? 2 John 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Dear friend, it's critically important that we get this right. God became man Fully God, and yet fully human through Mary. Incredible. It's the incarnation. What about the parentage of Jesus Christ? Miracles of the parentage of Jesus Christ. 
I have three dots for you, or bullets for you. The Holy Spirit, Mary, and Joseph. Okay, let's look at those one at a time. The Holy Spirit of God, God involved in a way as never before in human history. And has never since throughout the rest of history and never will. One time, God the Holy Spirit got involved in the fertilization of an egg. And that egg was in Mary. Though Mary and Joseph were espoused, that's like an engagement, and we'll read about that. The marriage would not be consummated for one year. This was during that period of time. Mary was a virgin, never having had a physical relationship with any man, ever. And this was foretold by Isaiah and Jeremiah 31.22. Let's do a new one in our Old Testament. Go to Jeremiah 31. Okay, this is fun to see you guys. Let's enjoy this Christmas stuff. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-two. The Bible says, "How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter?" Speaking of Israel, for the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. <gasps> it's a it's a miracle. It's never happened that way before. And here we have that in our Bibles. It was foretold throughout the Old Testament in various places and fulfilled in the New Testament days of Mary and Joseph by the Holy Spirit. In the natural order of things, it was impossible for Mary to have a baby. But with God, it was possible. A miraculous exception in the natural order of things, the Holy Spirit stepped in. A miracle. One of those miracles of Christmas. Go to Luke 1 now. I told you we'd read about it. We need to. Luke chapter 1. I know we were just there for a scripture reading, but let's start at verse 26 this time. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, we know this is Gabriel, said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus, And we learned, of course, last week about another title. This Jesus has to do with his humanity, but the other title is Emmanuel. We just sang the song, and it means God with us, a title of the same person, Jesus. Verse 32, Gabriel goes on, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom 
there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was a virgin. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. It was impossible, but not with God. It was miraculous. And Mary said, this is incredible. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. That's incredible, folks. So the second part of the parentage is Mary. What a special young lady she must have been. She, of all the Jewish maidens, had been chosen by God for this. She listened carefully to Gabriel, realizing through him God spoke. She did not say, impossible. That can't be. Pick on someone else, would you? She believed the Lord God at his word, even saying the word, that she was to be the handmaid of the Lord in verse 38. Dule, handmaid, means a slave for God. That's what it means. I will be a slave for God. She knew she would face ridicule and mockery and all kinds of difficult public shame, if you will, and yet voluntarily she said, I'll be a slave for God, uh, the handmaid of the Lord, so be it. Be it unto me according to thy word. <clears throat> she realized, through fa though favored by God, she was a sinner and needed a savior. Do you remember what Tom just read for us? Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Do you see that? She was a sinner and needed a Savior. A miracle. She would bring her Savior into this world. I don't understand that, but a miracle. I'll throw in one of many unbiblical teachings at this point that some of you are aware of and some may not be. It's called the Immaculate Conception. We might think about the birth of Jesus that way and more realistically that's true. However, the Roman Catholic doctrine is more formally known as, here it is, quote, the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, end quote. Let that sink in a moment. Immaculate conception, in their view, is the removal of the sins of Mary, the mother of Jesus, at her conception. When she was conceived, her sins were gone. She was immaculate. 
According to Catholic theology, original sin is passed from generation to generation by childbirth. Had Mary's sins been removed, Jesus not I'm sorry, had Mary's sins not been removed, Jesus would have inherited original sin according to their teaching. This teaching was proclaimed in the Papal Bull by Pius IX on December 8, 1854, which says that, quote, the Blessed Virgin Mary, at the very moment of her being conceived, received immunity from all stain of original sin. I don't read that in my Bible. She needed a Savior, and she knew the lowest state of that handmaid that she was. Nor was Mary a perpetual virgin, as they teach. It's all heretical, unbiblical. No, Jesus was without sin because of another miracle. Not that one. He was without a human father. That's why. God the Son was born into this world sinless. But I'm getting ahead of myself, as you'll notice on the notes on the back side of the bulletin. (laughs) Number three, Joseph. As far as another miracle of the parentage of Jesus, Joseph was of the house and lineage of King David. And I'll speak more about that in a few minutes. He was a just man who through faith was saved. He was a just man. He was willing to make Mary a public example. I said that wrong. Unwilling. Please strike the first word I said. He was unwilling to make Mary a public example. He could have, number one, divorced her. They were a spouse, they were engaged, but there was a provision for a divorcement at that point. He could have done that. Secondly, he could have had her stoned for adultery. That was a public thing. Or third, he could have given the child his name. He did not do these things. But he thought on these things, waiting on God for direction. That was the man Joseph. He believed God, and he took Mary to be his wife in spite of the public reaction, the ridicule, the shame, the mockery. And a miracle, he knew her not. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. Let's head there. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She was not involved in immorality in any way, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, 
A virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. That's a quote from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He was not Jesus' physical father, but a special man, a just man, and part of this picture of the parentage of the, the miraculous parentage of Jesus Christ. And then next, miracles of protection. As we just read in Matthew 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. On this wise. That indicates different from any other birth ever. His birth was without participation of male and female. All other human births are. His divine nature was eternal. Peter wrote it this way. 1 Peter 1, 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but was or but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or made known in these last times for you. His human nature was from Mary. His human nature was from Mary, but was combined by the Holy Spirit. There has never been such a combination in all of history. And secondly, without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says he was without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says he did no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us he knew no sin. And 1 John 3.5 says, and in him is no sin. How could that be? How could it be? He did not inherit a sin nature from a human father like you and I have. That's how. Throughout the Old Testament, we read this. Many, many places. Some of you may have put some of this to memory. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and of the children's children under the third and fourth generations and so on. The iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Don't go saying it's dad's fault. (laughs) We're all born sinners, okay? Every one of us in this room. God held Adam personally accountable and responsible for this. Did you know that? Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible evidence shows us our sin natures were passed on to us through our human fathers. I've read articles that indicate from 
hematologist, and you could ask this question, okay? And I've read others that are involved in medical sciences that the river of life, our blood, and its related systems develop in the unborn child while in the womb primarily from the cell introduced by the human father. Primarily. There's little overlapping in those systems from father and mother. But Jesus did not have a human father. So he did not have that introduced into his makeup at all. It was a miracle. Now, some take this too far and build a whole house of cards on that. Please don't do that. But Jesus was and is miraculously unique. We have to realize that. And then let's look at miracles of prophecy fulfilled. His genealogy is an incredible one. I looked at the clock and I realized, oh, I've got a ways to go. Don't worry, okay? (laughs) The genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people are enamored with their family tree and Ancestry.org and many other companies out there are selling monthly subscriptions to the tune of millions of dollars per year because of that interest. It can be intriguing what you discover in your family tree, right? It can be intriguing or embarrassing too. There are some nuts on those branches. Yes, there are. The Bible, though, is a perfect genealogical book. It may be boring to read, right, Randy? About those genealogies? We've talked about that several times. It seems boring to read through those long lists of genealogies, but it's perfect. There isn't a flaw in it. And Randy and I have talked about that a lot. But it is eternally important as well. Those genealogies are part of the inspired word of God and they're profitable for us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? That the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's 2 Peter, 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. So we have that. It is important. If Jesus did not fit all the prophesied criterion, if it were not fulfilled in him, he, we would not have a savior. The prophecies about his genealogy had to come true. He had to be the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of Isaac, the descendant of Jacob, the descendant of Judah and King David and ultimately Mary. He had to be. In the genealogy of Joseph... In Matthew 1, verses 1 through 16, Jeconiah is named in verse 11. Now, that's a problem for us. If you're still in Matthew 1, look at verse 11. It says, And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away into Babylon. That's a problem. Why? Jeconiah was an especially wicked king in Judah. And it was because of him in large that God brought captivity, the captivity of Judah into Babylon. God, through Jeremiah, pronounced, this is in Jeremiah 34, pronounced a blood curse on Jeconiah and his lineage. 
his descendants, meaning that his lineage would not have a future right to occupy the throne of Judah. That line from David would not work to fulfill prophecy. That is an interesting study in itself. Notice in Matthew 1, verses 13 through 16, where it says this, And Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Matan, and Matan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. All of those, and many more before that, speak of one man begetting another child. Begat, 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 and it ends there where Jesus Christ was born of Mary, not begotten of Joseph. Did you see that? In Mary's genealogy, found in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, when you get to verse 27, where Jeconiah would show up, it's not there. That's interesting. Where did it go? Where did Jeconiah go? He's not in Mary's lineage. Well, Mary's lineage took a turn there. And though she was a descendant of David also, she was not a descendant of Jeconiah. A different branch on the family tree. God solved the problem of wicked Jeconiah through a different branch leading to Mary. Another miracle. And Okay, read the genealogies for yourself and work on those things. Another miracle. What about the place? We sing, O little town of Bethlehem, don't we? Right. The place was another miracle. We saw that last week in miracles of prophetic proclamation, Micah 5, verse 2, and Matthew 2, verses 4 through 6. It was and is just five miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem is. A related miracle that happened there is recorded in the book of Ruth. Ruth is one of the few women named in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. And how she met Boaz in Bethlehem is a wonderful account full of God's intervention. It is. And, as we will see shortly, this tiny hamlet, this village, had a miraculous homing beacon, if you will. And we're not going to get to that because of the time which led believers from far away to the very spot. It's better than geocaching. I've not, in, I've not done that. Dan, how many of you do geocaching? Okay, Matt, all right. I've heard it's a lot of fun. And I can imagine it. It would be like treasure hunting, right? Yeah. This homing beacon was even better than that. You know what I'm talking about, right? A star. Okay. So as to the miracles in regard to prophecy fulfilled, genealogy is one, 
the place is another, and the royal rites and worship. As we just discussed, Jesus, through Mary, had every royal right to David's throne, and he still does. First Kings two for twenty. First uh, Kings two verse forty five, and King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Psalm one thirty two eleven says, "The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne." Also, last week we read in Isaiah chapter nine verses six and seven upon the throne of David to order it. Remember that? Let's all see what Gabriel told Mary again in Luke 1, verses 31 through 33. So go back to Luke 1, starting at verse 31. We'll read, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Royal rights? Oh yes, he had every royal right to the throne, to be born the Messiah of Israel. By the way, one high point of Bible prophecy is that when Jesus returns again to this earth, he will do many cleanup projects, if you will, to this stained earth. He will also set up his kingdom and his throne in Jerusalem and he will be King Jesus and fulfill all the royal rites of prophecy on what is called in the Bible the throne of David. What about worship? Wow, that would be a great series in the days ahead. Did Jesus receive worship? Yes, he did. The shepherds, I'm not going to take time to read it. I think we'll look at this next week, okay? In Luke 2, verses 10 and following, the shepherds worshipped. Throughout his life on earth, he was worshipped by poor shepherds, rich wise men, devoted believers like Simeon and Anna in the temple, Gentiles, some Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, angels, that's up to Alan to present in Sunday school, and later, his disciples. What about us? He is worthy of worship. He has every right, every royal right, every biblical right to our worship. So I guess we'll leave miracles of provision for next week. I'll incorporate those into our special Christmas program somehow. I don't know how. That's my job. So at any rate, how about your worship? He's worthy of it. Are you worshiping him only one hour per week? I hope not. That would only be wrong. That wouldn't be real worship if that was the case. It would be pseudo or fake. You can only worship him if you know him personally. Maybe somebody here needs to know that Jesus is just as we've been looking at, 
God who came into this world in a human and took on a human body was fully human and yet fully God at the same time. It's miraculous, but you have to believe it and you have to believe in what he did on Calvary's cross so that your sins can be forgiven. When he shed his blood, when he, was, when he died there and was buried and rose again, you need to believe those things about him to have a relationship with him where you can worship him as you ought. I believe there are many people out there that do some form of what they consider worship. It can, be, it can take on all kinds of forms, spectacular or self-sacrificing, whatever it is, but they really don't know him, so they can't worship him. If you're not absolutely sure that you know him as your Savior, you make sure today. Talk to me, please, I plead with you. If you're a believer and are only nominally nominally worshiping him. I need to and you need to worship him with all our beings. Heavenly Father, we know that our Savior Jesus Christ is worthy of every, every true, genuine form of worship. And I know that's an inner and inward part of us that recognizes who you are recognizes who Jesus is and that as God is fully worthy of our worship may we from our hearts worship him may it flow out of us in the way we live in this world as well and what we say to others during this Christmas season about the one who came humbly but had every royal right to be worshipped as God who can pay who did pay for our sins and can provide salvation to anyone who believes I ask you Heavenly Father that we would be those who worship you in our hearts our minds our acts our words throughout each week ahead throughout the rest of the lives you give us in this world until we are with our Savior someday and enjoy him on his throne. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yes, he can be and should be on the throne in your heart. Let's go ahead and sing one closing song. Let's stand and sing the first Noel. 204, the first Noel, and then we're dismissed, okay? Let's sing. I guess verses 1 and 6, okay? It's 20 after. The first Noel, verses 1 and 6. We'll sing more of this some other time, okay? (laughs) The first Noel in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep no 
king of Israel. Verse 6. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind hath fought Noel 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 Born is a king of Israel Worship him throughout the week.